like moving from a worst case scenario in my imagination yes. to employing our imaginations in a different way. Not from a position of fear, but a position of opportunity. In the midst of these rapidly changing times, folks are finding themselves in a variety of spaces. Some are facing some real frightening realities, and some are just adjusting to the gifts and challenges of staying in. Now, I suspect some of you genuinely need a break from reading and thinking about our current situation. But for those of you who don't, what follows is a playful and helpful conversation I had with Chris Hall and Mimi Dixon. In this conversation, we tried to work with some of your questions, looked at what Christians from history might have to teach us, and some practical tips to help us navigate the unique days in which we now find ourselves in. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. I am very grateful to Mimi, Chris, to have you both on this recording. Thank you for being here. It's good to be with you. Yes, it is indeed. Well, what we did is we gave folks a chance to send in some questions, and I thought we'd just see what we find as we hopefully bring a help for people as we're navigating a current situation. The first piece I, I wanted to start with was, Chris, I heard you make a, a, a statement that uh, I, I almost you almost made it as a joke, but I think it's a helpful one. I wonder if you could unpack it. And it was um, uh, being quarantined is like the desert. It extracts stuff out of you. What did you mean by that? Oh, uh, yeah. Some of the folks I spent time with, I call the desert dwellers. They're the desert fathers and mothers. These folks who from the second to pretty much uh, into the fourth century headed out into the desert the Egyptian desert, and then the hills above Syria, other desert regions like the deserts of Judea. So they went out to a very uh, difficult, what I would, uh, I think of as a learning space. So if you're listening in, we can think of uh, different learning spaces we've been in that haven't been easy to be in. So the desert itself Think of the desert in Arizona as a harsh, boring, hot, demanding environment. So when these folks would head out into that learning space, the very nature of the environment would teach them things about God and about themselves. It was like the desert would extrude out of them through the pressure of that environment Things that were sometimes helpful, uh, new insights about God, new uh, awarenesses about themselves. And so when I think of the environment that we're living in now, Nathan, you've joked, you've joked, you've said to me, Chris, your wings have been clipped. <laughs> because I spent a lot of time on airplanes visiting folks who were involved with a friend of Ari in one way or another. Well, that's not happening right now. So my world in a manner of speaking, has gotten small. 15 Applewood Road, Malvern, PA. 
you just for give out your long term? <laughs> yeah, I did. Don't. That's fine. Oh, I know everybody's going to send you a little something. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they'll send me a little, a, yeah. a little box of sand for the desert. Yeah. So, so here's what I. Yeah, that's right. A little box of I like sand. It. So anyway, so uh, what's happening to all of us? And I think this is what I meant, Nate, when I probably said something off the top of my head, is God will uh, allow, and sometimes uh, in a very direct fashion, allow us to be in learning spaces that are unexpected. We didn't expect this to happen. In February, beginning of February, we weren't thinking about being quarantined. None of us were expecting this to happen. So now we're in an unexpected learning space. Mimi and I, August people that we are, are in the high risk group. I'm particularly so having just turned 70 and have a little asthma. So all of these things come together. It's like they coalesce together, alert, demanding learning space, health issues, uh, less freedom, surely, to walk out the door, get in my car, and go hit a golf ball. All these things have been reduced down. And in that learning space, I think the Lord has things for us to gain there that we wouldn't gain anywhere else. So I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do is to be open and uh, receptive to what the Lord might offer. Yeah, that, that's a phrase maybe folks will will find helpful in a kind of prayer. Lord, Lord, what are you offering me in this learning space? And I can say, hear the Lord responding, well, I'm, I'm going to be offering you lots of things, dear child, and some of them will be easy to accept and others might be more difficult. But I'm with you. I haven't changed one whit. I'm with you in that new environment. Thank you. Mimi, you've been, since you retired, kind of an anchor hold of sorts, writing and such, but um, yes, is yes. this a learning space for you? Um, it feels a little more of the same, because a lot of what I've been doing in recent months is uh, taking the opportunity to be quiet, to do quite a bit of reading, to do some writing, to um, allow the things that I have been collecting over the years to spread them in front of me and to begin to learn from these things, to focus on them, see their relationship to one another. So in many ways, this isn't really very different from um, what I've experienced previously. The difference is that when you know you can leave, it feels different than when you know you can't leave. Yeah, that's right. That's an odd kind of learning space, as you would say, Chris. So mm -hmm. the thing that I'm noticing about it is um, you call, you used the word extrude. Ooh, I have to write that down because I've been thinking about like being squeezed like a toothpaste tube. Well, yeah, that's right. That's right. You're extruding toothpaste out of that tube. Your pressure out is coming. Well, yours is more erudite than mine, but it does. Erudite? <laughs> what, what do you I don't know what that means. Can I just say erudite? that? Yeah. Informed, smart. Oh, you know, yeah. Okay, what I'm not. Professorial. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like it Mimi. It's like the door is locked. That's the that's the difference. 
It's very strange. And to look outside, it all looks normal outside, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And people have this sort of experience all the time. Grief does this. Yeah. It feels like there is a um, a window between you and other people that life is going on normally, but for you behind the window, it's completely different. So we have experiences like this. What makes this so notable is that it's corporate. And then not just for our neighborhood or even our state or our country, but globally. So um, there are an awful lot of really, really good perceptions of reality that can come out of this. Our vulnerability, our complete dependence on God, the way that God helps us to begin to think about what we're going to do with our rolls of toilet paper. If we're going to hang on to that's funny what you get afraid of. Yes. Mm -hmm. What you get afraid of. Why would this be at the top of the list? You walk into a grocery store and uh, the whole area where paper towels and toilet paper should be is largely empty. Sanitation. Mm -hmm. So the broader question is why what what's making us afraid? Well, quite evidently, scarcity is making us afraid. Mm -hmm. Am I going to have enough to eat? Yeah. So people, some people just filling up grocery carts stacked with stuff. Am I going to have enough to eat? Who's going to take care of me? Mm -hmm. All the, all the what ifs. Mm -hmm. Nate, all the what ifs. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And the, the, the what ifs kind of, get piled up in your shopping cart, if I can put it that way, I'm blending metaphors in your, in your shopping cart, and off your head, grabbing up, I would think, probably way more than you need, because what if? Now, some what ifs are important. We have to be wise. Mm-hmm. We have to be wise. Mm. But having said that, like Debbie, my wife, will say to me, no, you don't need to go to the grocery store. Yes, I do. I really do. What if dot, dot, dot. No, you don't need to go. Yes, I do. Well, I don't, I don't go, believe me. But the what ifs can paralyze us in some ways if they're not healthy, wise what ifs. Mm-hmm. And there is that tension that folks are trying to navigate of being wise and being prepared, but also, you know, not yeah, losing our trying. mind with it. And there's a difference between the two. One question we got from uh, Christina, a a little like this. In this strange time of quarantine, I've been confronted with strong loneliness. And she goes on, I I want to rely on Jesus to meet all my needs, but it also seems he gave me a need to be with others in community. How can I wrap my head around this time of isolation, obey, and step out of my selfishness without stepping out of my house? One of my close friends, Nate, has um, responded to this same kind of thing by writing thank you notes, uh, which are actually communications of appreciation. We don't get very much mail these days. Primarily, it's electronic. But these notes that people are receiving in the mail saying, today... As I was um, praying today, as I, as I was looking outside at the beauty of the day, as I was taking a walk, you came to mind. And these are some of the things that um, God showed me about the kind of person you are and the value you have to me, to your family, to your community. 
And people are being overwhelmed by having something show up in the mail that they can hold in their hand and read and reread. And that's making an enormous difference. There are other people who are very intentionally reaching out electronically. How are you doing? I'm thinking about you today. Are you well? Um, How are you spending your time? What are you thinking about? These kinds of things. So I, I think that Chris, when you talk about a living space, even though these people are living in caves by themselves, they weren't living communally for the most part out in the desert, they were very intentional about their relationship to one another. And even in communities where words were not exchanged, there were ways that people acknowledged one another, cared for one another, checked in on one another. Yeah, they were within eyeshot oftentimes. Mm-hmm. They could see somebody else's cell or they might be in the same build, building in different uh, rooms that they're living in. I was thinking, uh, Mimi and Nate, about uh, technology. We have a new a granddaughter who was born in June, Stella, our first grandchild. And now, unlike even two or three weeks ago, my daughter is no longer working. She's at home. And, and so on because of the, the uh, virus uh, situation. And so Stella's not with us on, on Tuesday afternoons, Thursday afternoons, Friday afternoons, which I would always look forward to. So I sense this, like Christina, I, uh, you might be feeling, I sense this gap. I just wanted to hold that little girl and see her smile and see how she's developing every day. Well, FaceTime. So every every day now, 7.30 in the evening, my daughter and her husband are getting a FaceTime call. Yes, it's nice to see their faces, but I want to see that little girl. And uh, there she is, and she's learned to spot uh, Debbie and, and my face and the camera, and these smiles arise and waves and so on. So... Um, Yeah, that might be a couple of ways to deal with a situation that's uh, unfortunate. God's image bearers aren't supposed to be so separate from one another. This is not the norm. So it wouldn't surprise uh, anybody, I would think, these feelings of loneliness, particularly for folks uh, who are not, say, married and just find themselves uh, alone. Or folks, maybe they've lost a spouse or whatever the situation might be. So we have to uh, be be creative, I think, at that point. And then remember that those people in our, our circle of acquaintances and family members, whoever it might be, who would be apt to be feeling lonely. Who are they? And like maybe says, maybe we write a card or whatever it might be, reach out and concretely in some way. Well, I picked up on your um, intentionality. At 7.30 every day, this is going to happen. <laughs> this is going to happen. That's right. Yeah. And right I, after I, Jeopardy. And it helps a lot to be intentional. And it invites us into a different kind of rhythm. And, but to be intentional about it, not to just let the day slide by, but to have um, a kind of a rule of life for each day. That really helps me. So I'll begin in the morning. I I spend time in the scriptures and praying. Then I exercise. Mm -hmm. Then I have breakfast. And then I check to see if people have reached out to me or if they have a question or if, um, you know, somebody that I am going to have a conversation with. And then I get Mm -hmm. into my work and I work through until the evening. 
Mimi, I'm curious, are some of your friends from the past, books you've read and such, any counsel on loneliness, any advice? Well, many of them were living in community. Not uh, Some of them were desert dwellers, as Chris is. That's really a, his area of expertise and a real area of interest for me. But all of them, the people that have shaped my understanding of God, were people that lived in community of some sort. Even Julian of Norwich, that was in an anchor hold attached to a church, had a window open to the nave to the sanctuary so that she could participate in worship and a window that opened to the street and people would come by for counsel or prayer. And um, that wasn't constant, but she had a rhythm that shaped her day as well. And of course, um, John of the Cross lived in a community as well. And so he was in a situation where he had the opportunity to encourage others, but also all these people had a rhythm to their day rhythm a rhythm of worship prayer service study and it having that kind of structure makes all the difference I'm curious from a pastoral standpoint, Mimi, um, with churches going online, um, what are some of the um, challenges you might see or um, ways in which people can still stay engaged in their community? Just a couple of weekends ago, I was in Chicago with a church that meets on Sunday evenings. They're called The Practice, and their life together, it goes beyond the context of worship because they're very intentional about forming community. So a hundred people or 120 people doesn't seem like a lot of people, but they know that it's still easy to get lost in a group of people that size. So they started, they don't call them house churches, but they started these small groups that meet in homes one Sunday a month. Well, they had started this at the beginning of this year. And then when the, COVID-19 began and worship congregations were being encouraged not to gather and worship, they already had these smaller settings established. And so now, even now, when it's collapsed even more and they're meeting virtually, it's possible to do so because they can do it by Zoom, they can do it by um, electronically, so they're still gathered in worship, and they have somebody who has taped a message, and so the message is brought in. Everybody has the same message and the same practice coming out of the message, but the scriptures that they do, the songs that they sing are all the same. So they're basically attending it together as a group. They are. Mm -hmm. But they're doing it in smaller settings. Now, I, I had a conversation yesterday with two other people on the board, the Redvari board, and they were talking about what their churches are doing. And some of them are streaming, and then they have the message and kind of virtually participating in worship. I really like the idea of doing that intentionally with a small group of people where you're talking together, you're interacting together, you have an opportunity to respond to the message that you just heard. So um, those are some of the creative things that people are doing. I And I have an expectation that some of it is going to stick. You know, Nate, when, uh, with the staff at Renovari, 
uh, every day, five days a week with a meeting on Wednesday, but I'll see folks at noon. I'll see you, I'll see Carolyn Ahrens and Justin Olofsky and Brian Morricone and Monty Harrington and Melanie Gilgris. I'll see all these folks. There you are. And we'll talk a little bit and just pray together. That's a rhythm outside of the virus context, but it's carrying us through in a night's way uh, in the midst of it all. So to be honest with you, uh, between uh, podcasts and Stella. The, time, <laughs> the prayer times, I'm getting kind of tired of everybody. <laughs> well, you bring up a good... Just joking. <laughs> Just joking. You bring up a good point that I could see, um, you know, as people are thinking about what are my rhythms and are there things to add, things to take out, I totally could see groups, you know, praying the hours together or having mm-hmm. even like... Like for ours, Chris, it's 15 minutes. Like it's not a lot of a time commitment, but it is a nice break in the day to just stop and pray. You know, we have a lot of precedent that comes to us from church history. People who lived together in community also were people that understood the value of silence and solitude, of study, of work. And so um, enclosed communities have quite a bit to tell us about how what life together in that kind of environment looks like. So it may be really new for us who are out there quite a bit, very busy and surrounded by words and activity and overcrowded schedules. This is a hard stop to that kind of experience at that expectation and predictability of life. But it also opens up a whole new opportunity to think about how might we shape our lives today and what would that look like and how could that reset some of the ways that we live our lives, our priorities, how we blocks Mm -hmm. of time. I'm pretty expectant about it, really. Yeah, Nate, your dad has written, you know, that, that wondrous book, Celebration of Discipline. And that introductory line to his chapter on meditation, largely meditation on the Bible, in contemporary society, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he'll rest satisfied. So in the most surprising way, so unexpectedly, we're given the opportunity to deal with issues of noise, hurry, and crowds in a way that uh, can be life-giving. If we can enter a, a rhythm of life during the day and evening, I'm an early morning person, so it starts off fairly early for me. I become semi-comatose by four or five in the afternoon. If we can enter into a, a rhythm and then wisely use technology to engage with those who are near and dear to us, and, and then in other ways, uh, also writing. Noise, hurry, crowd. What are the antonyms? Silence, solitude, and a slowing. Mm-hmm. And believe me, this is slowing people down. Slowing people down, I think, in a way that's healthy for the most part. One of the things that I think Jean-Pierre de Cassade would say is to understand the sacrament of the present moment. And the sacrament of this present moment is an invitation into a breaking of a routine 
to pay attention to what God is revealing and the opportunities that are right here. There's always, you know, it would be very possible even for a person in a space by themselves to fill it up with noise or have the TV going all day or um, yeah. start experimenting with midday television shows, that kind of thing, or watching movies. And I think that there certainly is a place for um, recreation like that and to be able to get together with your family and, and watch a movie or that sort of thing. But what if, and it's a different kind of what if than one com- yeah. that comes out of scarcity. What if yeah. this is giving me the opportunity that I've always said, you know, Nate, if I had time, I would read Ordinary Saints. But I, you know, it's going to have to wait until I retire. I just don't have time. But now you do. And what if you just sat down and and you read a chapter a day? And what if you interacted with the invitation of that chapter and kind of gave it a whirl? So I I just think there's so much. If we pay attention to what's happening right now. You know, uh, maybe we could do this exercise together with our listeners. So take let's pause for a moment. And ask ourselves this question. What have I thought over the past year I would really like to do if only I had the time? Now, some people might respond, well, yeah, I'd like to take a trip to the Colorado River and get in a boat, a raft or whatever. All right. We got to narrow it down. I want to take a cruise, Chris. Uh, Or a cruise. (laughs) Cruise. Well, what might... What what of that larger list can we narrow down since we're largely enclosed right now? But the the books I might have wanted to read, uh, the letters I might want to have written, the things I've wanted to write. What have I wanted to ponder? What have I wanted to learn more about? Maybe there's a period of history I've always wanted to know more about. Well, we we have time now. So I like the way you put that, Mimi, the idea of a what if that comes out of opportunity rather than scarcity. That was a good well, one. And there are options, too. You think about, for example, the course that you did on the Trinity. So for somebody mm-hmm. who is saying, you know, we talk about the Trinity a lot, but I, I wonder, what is the Trinity, really? What does it look like to have a relationship with the Trinity? Well, I just, um, on Sunday morning, my worship was going through your course, your online course on the Trinity. And I listened to you and I spent time with the questions that you suggested and I pondered. I made a few notes. I um, paid attention to how it pulled together a lot of my own experience and gave clarity and definition. So I came out of that experience on Sunday with a clearer understanding than I had entered. So there are podcasts, there are all kinds of ways that we can allow somebody to speak into. It doesn't have to be all books, but I love books. It can Mm -hmm. be somebody like this podcast, somebody who's helping you reflect on not just what you're missing, but the opportunity that's right here now that quite honestly, this situation is going to last that long, but I want it to count. So how can I gain as much as I can? What can I learn from this period that mm-hmm. can be a real resource and a gift to me as things get back to normal? Well, it's a, I was thinking of um, like crafts or knitting or. Nate and I were chuckling. Maybe 
I don't know, Mimi, if you were on yet. So my wife, Debbie, walked in. Yeah. <laughs> she walked. Oh, yeah. She walked in wearing a face mask that she just made. It was a really it was, fancy it was face cool. mask. So she's out good. on the with the sewing machine. I think she wants to make some of these face masks. Chester Hospital nearby had said that they oh. would like that. They will have to come and pick them up, no doubt. But uh, she's keeping herself occupied that way. I find that I have to. I have to uh, limit my screen time in terms of information. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, there's, there's only so much information I can absorb and I don't, I don't need to go on to CNN every 10 minutes to find out something that they've just told me an hour ago or two hours ago or whatever it might be with a little red sign, breaking news, <laughs> breaking news. But I look at breaking news and that was news I heard about, Four hours ago. Well, somebody's got a lot of commercials to sell. And so the, and I think there's only so much uh, information that we can absorb. And, and with even the tone of voices delivered on a newscast, I've noticed this on the evening news. Mm. Hello, friends. We've got a lot to get through in a short amount of time tonight. A lot going on today. There's a tone of, of voice and then uh, images. Uh, ad nauseum sometimes. So I have to be careful about that because I, I like to stay on top of things. But I can only be told so many times a day how many people now have the coronavirus, how many people have died and so on. Well, and the question is, what do I want to fill my mind with? Because it's important to be yeah. informed. To um, Seclusion is a gift that you give to the community, not just and it's easier. Benefit. It's easier for introverts than extroverts. Mm, it is but indeed. It, it, is yes, an, it is. It is a gift. It's an act of neighbor love, right? But we don't want to feed fear. And it's one thing to stay up with what's happening, what the recommendations are, what's needed, and another thing to um, sit and focus on it to the point where that's all you're thinking about, and there's a growing sense of lack of control and anxiety and fear. I I just don't see the invitation of God in that. I found just a real intentional limiting and, you know, give myself kind of a, okay, you got 30 minutes, read all you need to read, you know, and then, and then we're taking a walk. I'm finding I'm, I'm walking quite a bit. Oh, that's right. Because you're a news person. You like to listen to the news. I've got issues. You know, I I do. I do. I'm always doing these fast, but I've got to be careful. We have issues with Nathan Foster. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's it's hard. So I like this and it's helpful for for many people who are finding opportunities and space to, you know, look at some new things. There's also on the other end, and we had a number of questions uh, uh, related to this, but for many people, they're now home with their kids. And, and this becomes then um, very busy and noisy, and it's, uh, they're hiding some difficulty in that. So we're, we're hitting you know, both sides. And then on the whole other piece, I'm thinking of um, people in the healthcare field and their spouses and you know, what's coming for them. And so that's a you know, very, very real uh, kind of crisis. Yes. So in terms of those mm-hmm. two groups, are there um, you know, pieces that you might like to offer? What's your experience having the kids home? Yeah, Nate, you're the one with the kids at home now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my kids are older now, so my challenge is more like, will you hang out with me? 
Um, but, but when they were younger, um, it was working at home and, and this cute little guy's knocking at the door wanting to hang out. And then that tension mm. of, do I, uh, you know, am I interruptible for this sacred thing or, or am, am I needing to set a boundary mm-hmm. and, and say, no, um, I remember my little guy would have a butter knife to unlock the door and he'd sneak in. Oh. It was just adorable. <laughs> so I think, and I don't know for me, I don't, I didn't handle it necessarily well. Sometimes I was available and other times I was just irritated. So I'm the wrong person. So to ask. when you're working remotely as you were, at that time, that is a huge thing to figure out what that kind of rhythm is, because there's a a perception of availability that, in fact, you had responsibilities. This is your job. You had um, things that you needed to accomplish that day. So as you worked your way through this, because that was not just a couple weeks or a month or six weeks or whatever this will be, how did you build that into a family rhythm that was helpful. Hmm. Well, again, I, I don't, I don't know that I did it, did it well, but trying to just set boundaries of, you know, these times I'm doing this and these times I'm available. And when they're really little, they don't quite understand that. But as they get older, certainly do. With that though, the other piece being at home, oh, this, this might be helpful, um, is, uh, you know, when you're going to work, there's this wonderful commute where you're able to just just kind of reorient yourself to put the new hat on of you know being at home and and when you're working from home you know the commute is opening the door and now I'm here and so for me um, mm-hmm. I've been working from home a few years now with Renovari it's important for me to to have a space where uh, I move from I transition from work to home life. Mm. And it's usually for me a walk or I go in the wood shop and, you know, cut and sand something. And just even if it's a small window, it just helps me transition to be more available to them. That's a good word. The other piece is for folks who have kids and they're not in church. And so then they're wanting to be of help to them, you know, spiritually and, you know, wrestling through some of those things. Um, This potentially creates an opportunity uh, for for some new pieces, any any counsel on what people could do? Yesterday, I was talking with Rochelle Parham, and at their church, what they're seeking to do, and I talked about this a little bit earlier without mentioning her by name. They're working. Their part of their vision is to think about having the congregation in family groups with somebody who intentionally is resourcing that group and to have always that now as part of their um, preaching or the message or whatever that they're bringing into that setting so that the people in the houses are, or they're not trying to come up with their own message, but they have something to respond to and that it always has a piece, some kind of activity, a craft, um, an exercise that is within the range of, of ability for the children, the reading of scripture that they that they bring, that they make accessible to these house churches, these little mini family groups. Um, so there are scriptures that the children can read. There's a message that they listen to. And then there's an activity or a craft. That's something that you don't have to go to the um, craft store to buy materials, but it would be something that's right there. And it's, again, the family, where we are most shaped in our faith is by the setting in which we're raised. 
um, how are who the people are in the home, the the parents or the siblings or whoever, that's really where our faith is shaped. And so as the church in this environment, congregations have the opportunity to make resources available. So this could be a pattern now that around the dinner table, we have a question that everybody answers. Um, Where did I see God today? What is something that one of you did for me that really mattered to me, that I I really appreciated, that kind of thing. So you begin focusing their attention, reflecting back on the day, thinking about what they did together. And and those have staying power. That's good. Would you have a word for doctors, nurses, first responders, their families? I mean, they're preparing for a war. It's serious. I have... uh a couple of friends who are doctors. One, uh, he's been my doctor for a long, long time. And so maybe two, two or three weeks ago, before all this really started to heat up, I just, I brought him something. No, it's not so much possible now, but I brought him a copy of the reservoir, the Renovari mm-hmm. reservoir. And he lit up. Yeah, I knew he went to church, but he lit up. He showed me how to use it. Oh, this is wonderful, and so on. Small steps of kindness that are more difficult now because um, our space is, is more difficult to navigate. And I, I've got another doctor friend. Uh, I think this must be a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Someone who I, he's a, a, a friend. We've been friends again for years, and... He's an orthopedic surgeon, but now he's working in the emergency room at a nearby hospital. Mm. You know, it's just as simple as te- a text that says, hey, how you doing? And in all likelihood, uh, he'll say, I'm doing fine, but maybe not. So I, ha- I actually have that on my to-do list. Send so-and-so a text. So who do we know within our sphere of influence or acquaintanceship or friendship who are involved in this kind of work. I think with this particular person, I'm, I'm not going to text him. I'm going to call him up and he'll either he'll answer or he'll hear, he'll hear my voice. Mm. And then I think of what Debbie's doing. She, she heard that Chester County hospital was short on masks. And so mm-hmm. she went online and found out, well, how do you make one of these? And then she's been in the kitchen all day long with the sewing machine going. So, you know, concrete acts of kindness. We can't resolve the situation for them. They're in a situation of uh, significant stress and some danger. But we can take, uh, you know, small acts of kindness that for them, if we all in our different communities are doing these kinds of things, will add up. We can't underestimate the power of seeing somebody and telling them that they're seen, that they're in our mind. I probably get three or four texts a day from people, different people that just say, you're on my mind. I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? Kind of thing. My sister-in-law is a nurse practitioner in a hospital in uh, Glendale, California, And she told me that she comes home at the end of the day, puts her clothes in a bag in the garage, takes a shower, washes her hair, and has even considered sleeping in a different room from my brother so that she is not exposing him to the virus. And I really liked what you said a moment ago about sending the reservoir, taking it to your your doctor. 
And yeah, I think my GP. It's, it's it's dead easy to order a book on Amazon. You can order the the resume oh, on right. Amazon and have it delivered to somebody's house. Who doesn't love getting a package in the mail? And it doesn't even really matter what it is, but you open it up, it could be dark chocolate, it could be anything. And they open oh, it up and then Mimi. you say, Oh my god. Mimi. I know. I know. Dark chocolate. <laughs> I know. For those, for those listening a pound in, of fifteen Applewood Road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. people. It raises you your know, spirits. Oh, and you know you're visible. And notice, it's quite yeah. remarkable the power that has, especially as mm-hmm. we've talked about in the last few minutes, to offset a sense of isolation or loneliness or helplessness. It's one of the most powerful things we can do. Send a note, have something sent, Well, and, send a text. You know, we, we all probably know someone and committing to pray for them daily um, to mm-hmm. just kind of yes. hold them up. Nate, you mentioned the word uncertainty about 10 or 15 minutes ago, uncertainty. And I think that's a word that aptly describes what raises people's anxiety. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? Yeah. How long is this going to last? Am I safe? Have I already been exposed? But this overarching question, what's going to happen i don't know and we have a choice at that point and the choice would be either we hunker down pull a blanket over our head get as many grocery articles as we can in the in the uh, pantry whatever it might be and so we turn in on ourselves Mm mm-hmm we turn in on ourselves, hunkering down like a soldier. You know, artil- if artillery shells are coming in, you know, you don't be running across the field. You want to find a foxhole and jump in. But there's an opportunity. Keep your eyes open to the opportunities that will present themselves for you to see beyond yourself or your immediate family. Hmm. And then I think I do think the technology we have uh, nowadays uh, can facilitate that outward turn rather than simply an inward turn. Chris, what you're saying reminds me of life in the convents that Teresa Vavala started. If she became aware of one of her sisters, one of the young women under her care, becoming overly anxious or um, really worrying about things, very, very uncertain, then she would tell her to stop whatever she was doing and scrub floors for a while. Clean some windows, (laughs) help in the kitchen, because when your focus is taken off of what you just described, being turned in on yourself, Mm -hmm. obsessing, you get kind of paralyzed. Yeah, you do. It's very paralyzing. And it's um, the more you focus on it, the bigger it looms. So to just do something different for a while to clean the house, to play Mm -hmm. a game, um, send an email do something else to break that and to be prayerful, as you said a moment ago, Nate, who's on my mind or what's on my mind? What if I turn that into prayer? I saw that as God ringing up the red phone on my desk to get my attention so that I can join in praying for what the spirit is doing, what God wants to do. 
So I've yeah, been- it's like moving from a worst case mm-hmm. scenario in my imagination yes. to employing our imaginations in a different way. Yeah. Oh, we could do this. Like you were saying, Mimi, oh, we could scrub the floors. Ugh. Oh, Ugh. <laughs> we could do this or this or this. Your dad's been praying. I don't know if he's been thinking along these lines, Nate, but he's been praying a sanctified imagination. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what kind of an... So, so in a time of uncertainty, I can use my imagination in all kinds of ways. It's not helping me and it's not helping anybody around me. Or I, I could have pray for those aha moments where we get nudges from the spirit to begin to look at what's happening, not from a position of fear, but a position of opportunity. And actively turning our worry into prayer. Well, there you have it. Do stay safe, friends. I'm finding myself mindful these days of how my actions can potentially affect the most vulnerable among us. I guess it's just not about me. And what has amounted to a minor inconvenience is a simple way I get to practice neighbor love and may just mean one less person my local hospital will have to turn away. See you next week.